again and come before you to thanksgiving in our hearts again this morning, Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and praise, God. For Thou, Lord, are worthy, O Lord Jesus, this morning, Lord, and I thank you, God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, omnipotent Father of mercy. Oh, God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Just over in the glory land, God, I will exalt you, O Lord. I will praise you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Oh, I will bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. How excellent is your name, O God. I thank you, Lord, this morning, Lord. I will bless you, Jesus. I will praise you, O Lord. I thank you, God, for thy loving kindness, O God, this day. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, you're so worthy, O God, this morning, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people come and dine. With his manna he does feed us and supply our every need. Oh, so sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Oh, come and dine, the master call it, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude and turned the water into wine to the hungry call it now. Come and dine, come and dine, the master call it, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine to the hungry call it now. Come and dine, the disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command, for the Master called to them, now come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire, thus he satisfied the hungry every time. Oh, come and dine, the Master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry call him now. Come and dine. Soon the lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side. All the host of heaven will assemble be. Oh, twill be a glorious sight, all the saints in spotless white, and with Jesus they will feast eternally. Oh, come and dine, the master call, if come and dine. 
You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude and turned the waters into wine to the hungry call it now. Come and dine. Oh, come and dine. The master call it come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude and turned the waters into wine to the hungry call it now. Come and dine. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we come to feast at the table this morning, God. We come to exalt you, Jesus. We come to thank you, Lord. Thou art worthy, God. Thou art worthy, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, this day, Lord. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your grace. All you do for us, Lord. Thou art great, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Oh, God, there is none like you, God. Nothing shall be able to separate us from your love, oh, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God as we press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning? There's no place I'd rather be than here in this presence. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We want to get right into our word this morning. Amen. As I take up the Sunday school off, we want Brother Miller to come and tell us about staying focused. I want to be focused, don't you? Praise the Lord, everyone. So glad to be in the house of God one more time. Glad for what God is doing. Putting life back into perspective. You know, the more I think about just some of the things that we talked about. I listen and I hear messages being preached, lessons being taught. One thing I do value, one thing that means a lot to me is truth. I mean, it's, it's, it's really important. And, you know, the scripture talks about you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is so important that we put a lot of emphasis on truth, maybe not in our lifestyle all the time. But if you look at our judicial system, a lot of that is predicated on knowing the truth. And no matter where you go in life, most people want to know the truth. They may not want to adhere to the truth, but nobody really wants to be lied to. Amen? And truth is, contrary to popular belief, truth is absolute. Amen. Truth is, there's only one truth. Truth can be nothing else other than the truth. And I'm so glad to know that God's word is true. 
I I can't stake my 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 claim. I can't stake too much confidence in anything else in this world. But one thing I know that will never fail is God's word because it is true. It is absolute. Amen. And I'm so glad for the truth. I'm glad to know the truth because it's helping me in my life. Amen. The more I learn about the truth of God's word is something it's it's a beautiful thing it really is you know when you read the word of God God begins to speak to you about his word it's so awesome that you don't have to go to the synagogue or the temple anymore like you used to have to and you know you don't have to wait on the priest and you know all the ones that the levites and all those guys that you know used to do the work in the temple you don't have to wait on the prophet or the man of God like you used to back in the old testament Amen. That new testament or that new covenant or that new relationship with God, you can get a word for yourself. Amen. And guess what? It's so awesome. He didn't leave us to the wind, you know, to try to figure it out. We have the word of God put together in one book. Now, this one book, I don't care how many times you read it. Every time, even teaching a lesson, it's like I go back and I review some of the stuff and it's like, man, I got something else. I wish I'd have known that then. I wish I'd have had that then. I wish I'd have thought about that then. But every time you look into the word of God and every time you seek the face of God, he's always showing you more and more and more. And I'm so glad to know that God's word is the truth and that it is designed to help develop me. And I believe if you let it, it'll develop you too. Amen. Praise God. It does no good to get into this thing and not use it. Amen. So I'm glad for it. I really do appreciate it. Titus chapter 3, verse. Let's start with verse 4. And we're talking about the, the particular topic that we've been discussing. Talking about the plan or understanding the plan. And we talked a little bit about repentance. We talked a little bit about, you know, what takes place, that whole conviction process. You becoming convicted versus being condemned. God's word is not designed to condemn you. You condemn yourself when you reject the word of God. But the word of God will convict you because it will show you where you stand and it will also show you the way to come out of where you are. Amen. To change your condition. And so when you are convicted by the word of God, you are left with an opportunity to make a choice. When you make that choice, the hope is or you can take hope in knowing that when you make the right choice or when you choose to follow the word of God, it's going to bring about a change. And we know that change starting with the salvation or the plan of salvation it is a matter of regeneration. Amen. It starts with being born again. And so we're going to continue to talk about that. We talked a little bit about repentance, turning away from sin. Right. And we talked about being baptized a little bit, uh, being baptized water baptism in the name of Jesus. We talked about the significance of using the name of Jesus. Titles don't do you no good. Amen. Got to use the name of Jesus, you know, and, and we find even before Jesus arrives on the scene, if you will, according to the scriptures, John preceded Jesus's arrival on the scene and he was baptizing folks and they know it to be John's baptism, which was unto what? 
Repentance, right? And so you can't baptize somebody in the name of John. Amen? It was Jesus. It was his blood that was shed, not John. John was cast into prison. He was killed. He was martyred. But the one who died for our sins was not John. It was Jesus. Amen? And John testified of Jesus. He says, listen, there's one coming greater. I'm just here telling you, I'm prepare the way. Prepare you the way of the Lord. I'm just fulfilling the prophecy here. I am the forerunner. I am not that guy. When the Pharisees came and they sent those guys to ask him, says, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the savior? No, I'm not either of those. I'm just a forerunner here to tell you that he's coming. Titus chapter 3 verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. We know that Savior to be Jesus Christ, right? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, thank God for his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Verse 6 says, which he shed on us abundantly through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get to the Father, you got to go through me. You got to go through the door. Amen? So, we're talking about regeneration. We're talking about the Holy Ghost, specifically. And I put the title on here, God in us. The arrival of Jesus Christ on the scene of the earth was the fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew confirms the words of Isaiah as he announced the, the divine identity of Jesus known as Emmanuel in Matthew, chap, uh, Matthew chapter 1 or God with us. That is the interpretation of Emmanuel, God with us. Y'all see that, right? If you, I'm sure everybody read Matthew chapter 1. We always read it around Christmas time. But, you know, you can read it throughout the year. Amen. <laughs> God with us. Jesus proclaims to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that in order to make it into the kingdom of heaven, we must be what? Born again. This new birth experience is not merely a referencing a mortal or carnal entrance into the world. Instead, it is the regeneration of our souls. Now, water baptism is designed to wash, cleanse, and purify our souls from sin. It is symbolic to the death of the old spiritual man and the birth of the new spiritual man. Romans chapter 6, we're going to kind of go journey through uh, some of these scriptures here, um, because this is what you need. When you talk about you've experienced being born again, you got to know according to the scriptures how to tell what it is that you experienced and how it's in accordance with the word of God. Okay? Romans chapter 6, look at what Paul says. We'll start with verse 3. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. 
Look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him, right? By baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Notice the uh, pastor preached the message last week. He talked about the Holy Ghost. And uh, one of the things that in the scripture that he read, it wasn't that it was, you know, you did away with the sin of the flesh or the condition of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience, right? Giving you a fresh start. Now, just just kind of keep that in your mind. It didn't do away with the deeds of the flesh, the condition of the flesh, but it gave you a good conscience. You can stand before God and know that all those things that you had done has now been washed away because you have been baptized. You've crucified the old man, the spiritual old man, and now you have risen like Christ as a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things For those folks that keep arguing about trying to take some of the things, some of the elements from the world to glorify God, God is not pleased with the things of the world. If he's going to redeem you, he's going to regenerate you. There's a reason why he's regenerating you. Because he don't like the things from the world, the things you used to have. You can't glorify God with the world. It's not going to happen. It's amazing to me how many folks we have in the church trying to use the things of the world to reach the world. When I was when I was in a carnal mind, that's the way I was thinking. I was listening to carnal things. Music was one of those things. I was listening to rappers, R&B singers. But when you come out of the world, God is not pleased with the things from the world. No, see, a lot of people don't want to accept that. Talk about that in the churches today. We'll patronize or patronize people and make them feel good about what they're doing and say, well, that's okay. No, it's not okay. We're not supposed to be patterned after the world. In fact, the scripture says, do what? Come out from among them. Be ye separate. Stop trying to blend in. Why would God go through all the trouble of trying to call you out of mess so that you can continue to use mess to reach people that are in a mess and you're not glorifying God who doesn't like mess? So you are regenerated, you're made new, you rise walking in the newness of life. Although we are given an opportunity to experience the newness of life with a good conscience, a a clear conscience from sin, we still need something or someone to help keep us from becoming contaminated again. So remember what we talked about, it's not doing away with the deeds of the flesh. 
You know the scripture talks about the works of the flesh, right? Talks about adultery, idolatry, fornication, and all those things. That's what the flesh is drawn to. That's the only thing that the world can appeal to. That's the only thing that the enemy can influence. That's why Paul says, walk in the Spirit. Because by walking in the Spirit, you automatically reject the things of the flesh. The carnal mind is what's enmity against the Spirit. You can't please God with the flesh. It's not going to happen. They oppose one another. The flesh is not going to make it into the kingdom. That's why the Bible says we'll be, tra- we'll be changed. So this is, this is the thing, and this is why, you know, I was talking to the pastor. This is one of the things I always like to encourage people that get baptized. When you first get baptized, understand that while you have that good feeling that all your sins and all that stuff has been wiped away, that's great. Enjoy that. But understand that as sure as you leave from this place, the enemy is already devising a plan to try to pull you back into the mess that God just wiped away from your life. It's going to take more than a good feeling, an emotional feeling, to stay saved. Part of the problem with some folks, with with, with the church today, some folks come to the house of God and they are satisfied with just a feeling. But what did Paul tell us? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. What you are experiencing is a result of a spiritual warfare that's taken place. And if all you have is an emotional feeling, a good feeling, yeah, you got the remnant of what God was trying to do in your life. You just felt God moving, but you didn't embrace him, so nothing changed in your life, and you left in the same condition you were in. Now when you go back to that atmosphere you came from, you have no means of defense. So you're still weak. This is why some folks can't figure out why they go to church and they can't overcome the things that they're dealing with in their lives. Because you don't have something in you working. We need something, or more appropriately, we need someone to help us, to empower us so that we don't become contaminated with sin. Therefore, spirit baptism is also an essential part of the plan of salvation. Please don't look at water baptism and spirit baptism as just this separate entity where you got a step-by-step process. No, the plan of salvation includes all of it. Without all of it, you're not going to make it. It's not pick and choose. I've been baptized in Jesus' name in the water, so you know I'm good. The thing that breaks my heart for me 
is that a lot of folks have been misled to believe that they have something that they don't. And they're going to find out when it's too late. That that is heartbreaking. Wow. You're going through this life thinking you're doing something, thinking you're going somewhere, you're progressing, and you haven't even started. And you're doing all this for what? You trying to figure out why you can't make it somewhere. Why why you can't take it. See, like every time you take a step forward, nothing's happening. But you hear the message. You're reading the word. The word is true. The problem is there's a disconnect. Because what you've been told about what you have is not really lining up with what the word of God says. Let's get into this a little bit more. Spirit baptism is essential. Amen. The spiritual immersion enables us to exercise godly authority in our lives. That's pretty much what it is, is having the spirit of God. What our spirit baptism is embracing or having the infilling of the spirit of God in your soul. Amen. It is essentially the spirit of God residing within us. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 27. Look at what he says. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, what happens? You put on Christ. So now if Jesus was God with us. And by being baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. Then essentially we have put on God. And if we have put on God, then we become vessels or carriers of God. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse says and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols this is a question for ye are the temple of the living God that is a statement as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people Listen, you can't be a child of God unless God is living inside of you. And if God is living inside of you, that means you have no part of sin. You're not walking in the flesh. You're not walking in sin. You know, again, the nature of the flesh is sinful, but that does not give you the excuse to continue in sin. Paul asks us that question. Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. God forbid. God has called you out of sin. He's cleansed you and redeemed you. Brought you to a state so that you can stay away from sin. Why continue in sin? Why go back? He says, you are the temple of 
the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them, walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God desires to dwell in us. So let's talk about that. Because I told you the bullet was God in us, right? Acts chapter 1. I love this. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. After the crucifixion, Jesus reveals himself to the apostles. He continues to teach them. He tells them. One of the things he tells them, he says, wait in Jerusalem, right? Wait for the promise. You already heard me tell you. But you got to wait for the promise. I believe it was in the end of uh, Mark, I believe. Luke, thank you. He talks about it again. Waiting for, wait till you be endued with power from on high, right? He says, for John truly baptized in verse 5. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8, look at what he says. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. When you receive this promise, when this promise has come to fruition, you begin to experience this. You're not only going to receive the Holy Ghost, but there's power that automatically comes with the Spirit of God. That's what you're receiving is power in your life. It's not just a ticket to just lay aside and put in your pocket somewhere and say, I'm good to go now. He says, I'm giving you power. And what does that mean? That means you'll be able to be witnesses unto me. You can't be a witness for God if you don't possess God. Okay? You can't be a witness for God if God doesn't possess you. You know, testify about something you don't know. Even in in the judicial system, we know that's just they gonna throw you out of the courtroom. Can you tell me were you there? That, that's the first thing they're gonna ask you. Did you actually witness this? No, I, I heard well, you know what, you're not a credible witness. You can now get down from the stand. In order for you to be a witness, you've got to have some kind of experience. Right? He says, you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. All right. So he tells them, wait in Jerusalem. You're going to, re- you're going to receive the promise. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost, right? Acts chapter 2. Let's look at what happens. Now, you know, this is nothing new. Amen. Nothing new. We've heard this numerous times. Probably one of the first things we learned when we came into the church. Look at this. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with they were all with one accord in one place. A lot of people like to skip over that part with the one accord. God don't deal in confusion. They were in one place 
one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. This is important, y'all. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Verse 4 says, and they were all what? No, they got a touch, right? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh Uh-oh. One of the most rejected elements of the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the phenomenon of speaking in other tongues. But I say perhaps the most overlooked aspect of the same argument is in verse 4 where it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, they uttered or spoke what the Spirit wanted them to speak in the language designated exclusively by the Spirit. I know a little Espanol. But what they were speaking had nothing to do with what they learned academically. Little bit of different languages. I can tell you Yasemin Asai. I can tell you Degalabachayim. That's Farsi. From the Middle East. I can tell you Ohio Gazamas. Buenos Dias. But I can guarantee you, when you look at this, they weren't just saying good morning and good evening. The people that were around listening in their language, they heard them not speaking gibberish. That would have been easy to denounce. Then they would have had a valid argument. They've been drinking. But they were speaking and praising God. And the things that they were speaking, they were speaking the things of God. So here's the deal. They couldn't understand that. This was a powerful phenomenon. But notice, Jesus never told them to wait for tongues. Stay with me now. I'm going here for a reason. Jesus didn't tell them to wait for tongues. He told them to wait for the promise, right? The fulfillment of the promise brought about speaking in other tongues. Because why? The Spirit was in control. Right? Now, the the 120 that were in the upper room... They were, bringing, they were not bringing attention to themselves of their own accord. It was God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that was in control. Now, throughout history, prior to the great fulfillment of prophecy for us, there were many instances where God gave a visible or visual and sometimes audible sign of His Spirit or His spiritual visitation. So this is what I'm going to point out. Y'all remember creation, right? Genesis chapter 1. Where the scripture talks about in verse 2. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. 
And God said what? Let there be light, right? He spoke and it happened, right? God's spirit was in the midst. When God is on the scene, it doesn't matter what's going on. Everything has to submit. Exodus chapter 40 verse 34 talks about the tabernacle. When God gave all the the instructions to Moses about building the tabernacle and and having the ark and putting the the table of stone in there. You know, he told him exactly how he was very meticulous in what how he wanted that temple or that uh, tabernacle to be. Upon completion of that, we find that there was a cloud that filled this tabernacle. The presence of God filled this tabernacle. Everybody else had to just take a step back and observe as the Spirit of God is moving. This was a visible sign. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verses 10 through 11, Solomon finishes the temple. What happens? Man, the priest could not minister. When the Spirit of God came in, and oh, by the way, let me just go back a quick, real quick. The tabernacle, every time they traveled with the tabernacle, whenever the Spirit of God was there, they had to stop. The Bible talks about one man that went to go touch because he saw the, the tabernacle about to fall, the ark about to fall, and he goes to touch it. And God ain't playing. Unfortunately, because he's given us grace, some of us take for granted. And some of us to our demise if we don't change our ways. God hasn't changed. It's just His grace that keeps interceding for us. Give Him another chance. Give Him another chance. Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. Mark chapter 1 verse 10. John chapter 1 verse 32. Talks about Jesus when He... Rises up out of out of the water, getting baptized. Said the spirit descending like a dove, right? right? Like a dove. Didn't say it was a dove. Just like a dove. Descending upon Jesus. And then a voice from heaven. No mystery who that was. This is my beloved son. Right? In whom I am well pleased. I think it's really awesome to look at the fact that Jesus, you know, and I'm kind of going ahead, I think, but I think it's awesome. You look at Jesus, right? And the whole time in his ministry, here's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys. Now, remember, they studied the law, right? I think it's interesting how they begin to question Jesus. And his authority for doing what he did. But they didn't question the miraculous birth and the arrival of the Savior. They knew that was going to happen. Jesus wasn't born of the flesh, right? 
Technically, he wasn't Joseph's son. He was born of the Spirit. So obviously a divine birth. We know that as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We knew that was foretold by the prophets. But they couldn't connect it to how he had the authority to do what he was doing, but then somehow disconnect the, the fact that he was the Savior. There's a reason for that. They were looking at it from a carnal perspective. Yeah, we're going to have another David, another Solomon, somebody that's going to help us triumph over the Romans. Kill him. He said, I came to save. Whoa, that's what you lost. You lost me, brother Jesus. The moment you said, I came to save, that save part, what you talking about? You're supposed to be saving us. You're supposed to be on our side. Jesus told my kingdom is not of this world. That's where you got it messed up. You so busy looking for an earthly kingdom. Man, that comes and goes. Didn't you see throughout history? How many empires then came up and then was taken down? How many times did you get captured? Got yourself built up and then you got captured. Built this majestic temple. And look at how, how easily it was destroyed. How quickly. This earthly stuff is temporal. Don't y'all get that? I'm trying to do something better. I want y'all to see this from an eternal perspective. So all of these events here that we just referenced, God gave some kind of sign of his presence. So what's different about receiving the Holy Ghost and him or his presence being in us? Why tongues? Remember what I told you. It's okay to be inquisitional. So it's okay to have questions. Lord, I wonder why you chose tongues. But it's not okay to have to make accusations. When you're questioning God's motives and his intent behind what he does, you are in essence trying to accuse God. We don't stand a chance in that argument. Whether it be an unknown language or another spoken language of the Spirit, it was a direct result of the promise being filled with the Spirit of God. Now we know that there's a difference between speaking in unknown tongue and speaking in other tongues. So in this, we find that they're speaking in other tongues or other languages, diverse languages that other people could understand. The unknown tongues, as we also talk about the gift of speaking in tongues, heavenly language that is understood in the spirit. That's why you need the spirit of God in order to interpret what is being said. This is not Chinese, Japanese. This is not Farsi. It's not uh, Spanish, Italian. This is a heavenly language. You want to understand that? You've got to be in the spirit. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Again, a lot of people question this whole tongues thing. But look at Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Now, I'm going to point out something in just a second. But look at what happened. As Peter's preaching, we always hear about the centurion, right? Look what happens. They heard them, or excuse me, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as, as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You see that, right? Guess what? According, now this was a guesstimate, but some studies would show that this was around, when the first event happened, it was around 30 A.D. This is said to be around 37 A.D., so that's seven years later. Seven years. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Now, these are three specific references to the tongues. Notice it doesn't go on the rampage about the tongues. But look what happens when Paul is preaching, right? Verse 6 says, Paul laid his hands upon them. The Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, right? Holy Ghost came. So those three references right there associating the fact that receiving the Holy Ghost was somehow connected to speaking in tongues. We see that, right? But this particular passage is said to be 54 A.D. So that's 17 years after the second instant. Right? 24 years after the first event. So my question to you is this. What's the difference between seven years, 17 or 24 years, or 1,926 years later when I received the Holy Ghost and spake in other tongues? What's the difference? Years, time. Time. That's it. So we look at just putting like putting it back into perspective, right? Looking at it for what it's worth. These groups of people didn't know each other. From what we can see in the scripture, they're in a different place, different time. Peter was preaching one group, and they received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Paul preaches to another group; they receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. All of those associated with the Spirit. What's my point? It's not necessarily wrong, like like I said, it's not necessarily wrong to have, you know, to be curious. At the end of the day, it's God's prerogative how he decides to manifest his residency. 
The more important concern for us should be to make sure he is, in fact, taking residency in our lives. That's why you don't have to, when you're witnessing the people, you don't have to sit there and dwell on tongues. Well, you know, you, you got to speak in tongues. You got some folks won't get the Holy Ghost because they're so wrapped up on trying to produce tongues. Sometimes we be praying with folks. You ever notice? Sometimes you got some. Some folks are so analytical. They're trying to really. Uh, my tongue's supposed to be a certain way. I, I know I gotta. You know, I, I feel something, but I can't let go because I'm trying to make sure I get this right. I gotta. You know, this is supposed to happen. This is supposed to. Happen. I gotta speak in tongues. And how are the tongue's gonna sound? And what tongue am I gonna be speaking in? Hmm. And they don't ever get to that point where they just receive the Holy Ghost. They're trying to analyze the spirit. You can't analyze the spirit. Carnality does not understand spirituality. Because it transcends carnality. So a lot of times we can, we can deter people from the Holy Ghost by focusing on the wrong things. You can tell me you don't believe in speaking in other tongues. That's, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't change the experience I had. What's more important is just let the Spirit of God come into your life. That's going to take more than a verbal proclamation. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. and believe He died for my sins. and That's good. That's good. If you want to say that prayer, I, I really don't have anything against it because it's in line with the Scripture. By verbiage. But when you talk about the experience of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, it's going to take more than a verbal proclamation. You will have to relinquish control and let His Spirit come in. And when His Spirit comes in, He will determine what comes out. Really, it's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Sometimes we can focus on the wrong things when we try to reach folks. Guess what? The Spirit of God will produce what the Spirit will produce. Our responsibility is to lead and help folks get to the point where they can receive what God has for them. And when they receive it, you don't have to tell them anything. Ooh, when I received the Holy Ghost, I knew I had something in me. You don't have to convince me at 12 years old that I received the Holy Ghost. Something's different inside of me. Ooh, I'm not in control anymore. But I know who is. It's a powerful thing. And then you walk away. You don't just walk away, you know, feeling good. Well, I see in a light and, you know, and, and I just felt so good. It just felt so warm around me. And, and I leave. Guess what? It's probably going to feel warm. You're in a different atmosphere. So you go feel good. Thank God you can go to a place where you can feel the Spirit of God. But if you want to feel him constantly, he's going to have to reside inside of you. That warmth around you ain't enough. 
You can think of a lot of things that make you feel warm. But it ain't necessarily making you safe. It's not giving you power to overcome yourself. See, this is why we need the spirit of God. Because his spirit is in us. Working things. The Bible, we just read in the beginning that our bodies are what? The temple of God. But it's only the temple of God if God dwells in it. It's not enough just for him to be around us. Guess what? When we leave this place, God is still everywhere. We know he's, he's omnipresent, right? So there are times where you'll feel the presence of God around you. But I can tell you that it's awesome. You know for yourself it's awesome when he's dwelling inside of you. God is not interested in dwelling in inanimate objects. That's why he never gave himself a specific identity outside of Jesus Christ. That was just one of his ways of manifesting or revealing himself. Burning bush. He manifested himself, right, through the burning burning bush, that pillar, that cloud that stood between the Israelites and the, and the, the, the Egyptians, right? Different ways that he manifested himself. But at the end of the day, you can't just put one little, you can't put God in a box. There's no way. But I tell you what, he, what he's willing to do. He's willing to reveal himself through us. I think that's awesome. We're talking about a God that can do anything, any way that he wants. Everything that exists is at his disposal if he wanted it to be. But he says, you know what? I want to reach folks through folks that's trying to get a hold of me. So when they submit to me, they enable me to operate through them to reach other people. And I start exercising power that the world can't understand. But if they want this, they need to know that this is available to them too. Sometimes the only God some folks will see is in you. It's not in the church facility. We put too much focus and emphasis on the, the denominational name and title and everything else. And, you know, those things are necessary because of the, you know, society we live in. Those things are necessary. But at the end of the day, guess what? I don't care what you put the title as. You can be First Baptist Church of Mount Nebo, you know, Ebenezer Street. But if the Holy Ghost is operating through you, that's really all that matters. Not a good feeling. Some folks spend their life trying to be good. But to try to be good without God really does not hold much value. It's okay to be good. I'm not knocking good. But to be good without God, it really doesn't. At the end of the day, guess what? We all aspire to go somewhere. We're all going towards a destination. Question is, what destination are we going to reach? Goodness without God is still going to bring you to the same destination as those that are doing bad. 
I know that's harsh, but that's, that's the truth. Righteousness is more than just goodness. Righteousness is being godlike. And the only way to be godlike is to have God residing inside of you. And so by receiving the Holy Ghost, we receive power. That's what he told him in Acts chapter 1, right? You're going to receive power. That power is necessary. Because without that power, your addiction to cigarettes won't go away. You'll quit 27 times and still find yourself going back because you don't have that power. Oh, I know. That bottle of alcohol that you were drinking and you, you know, Jack Daniels and whatever your favorite was. Those environments that you just can't stay away from because you're just so drawn to it. Those conversations that you keep. Those words that keep coming out that you just, whoa. You listen to it and like, man, that sounds bad, but y'all just can't, y'all can't stop it. Somebody do something to me that I don't like. Beep the beep the beep. Because that's what's coming out. Because that's what's inside. But when you receive the Holy Ghost, he drives all that out. And the same impulses that you had before to cuss, now you're blessing folks. You're not even speaking the same. So when people look at you, be like, man, I know good and well. You don't went to that church and something done happened to you. You done came and you said you came in contact with God. Yeah, there's something different about you. Because I know the old you. Having the Spirit of God is just, is more than just a feeling. It's power. That power is godly authority being exercised in your life. But in order for godly authority to take place, just put it like this, ladies and gentlemen. God wants to come inside and dwell in you. Right? Can I ask you something? If you purchase a house, would you want to share your house with a total stranger? Second thought, would you want to share your house with someone that you know is demonstrative? They just want to tear up everything. You know they're going to bust your windows, put holes in your walls. They're going to tear your house up. Would you be willing to live with them? It's your house. No? So why do we think God wants to live with Satan in this house? All the enemy wants to do, the Bible says he goes about seeking whom he may, his intent, his desire from the get-go is to destroy us. God says, I come that you might have life. I come to, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about God through us next week. But God in us, there's a difference. God is not willing to cohabitate with the enemy because God is in the building process. He's in developing, not destroying. So if we want the Holy Ghost, it's there for us. But you got to give up all control and let him come in. Let him in. He didn't purchase it with his blood. Let him in. And watch what he'll do. Amen. God bless you. 
We're going to take a break, and we're going to get ready for a dynamic service in Jesus' name. Amen?